Jeremiah 29, 11, New King James Version. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. If you're reading the King James Bible, which I typically do, it ends with the phrase, an expected end. God said, I know where this is going. And there's an expected end to all of this. Most other translations render it a future and a hope. I want to preach today from this thought, a future of hope. God bless you for standing. You may be seated. I believe the Lord wants to encourage our hearts today to remind us that He always has a plan that is working our lives, even when it is corrective, it is always redemptive. And that we should not get stuck in our current circumstances where we bide our time, cease to exist, and fail to be productive for the Lord. Jeremiah is rightly called the weeping prophet, and he had a lot to weep about for the people of God, the southern kingdom of Judah, to which many of his prophecies were addressed. He is also called a prophet to the nations. But when Jeremiah is focused on this southern kingdom of Judah, there is a lot of weeping. Israel and Judah, both the northern and southern kingdoms, had forsaken the Lord, broken their covenant with God that he made with them at Mount Sinai. So Jeremiah rebuked them for their sin, And he likened the sin of idolatry, turning to other gods, as adultery. He told them that they had been unfaithful to Almighty God. There was such sin in Judah that some of the people even offered their children as sacrifices on altars to foreign pagan gods. There was a deep-seated sin existing in Judah. And then in addition to all of those sins, for 490 years, they had neglected what God called the Sabbath of the land. A Sabbath for people every seventh day. But the land, every seven years, the Lord said, I want you to let the land rest. Do not plant it. Don't plow it. Don't harvest it. Let it lie fallow. Let it rest. For 490 years, Driven by greed, they cheated the land out of its rest. And eventually, you'll learn that God will make up for that time some way. So he told them that you're going to go into captivity to a northern kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon. And there's going to be a year for every seven years that you neglected my covenant of the Sabbath rest of the land. You're going to Babylon It's going to be for 70 years. This is a judgment on your sins, which are many. He would allow the city of Jerusalem to be ransacked and burned. The temple where God dwelt between the cherubim would be totally destroyed. From the Jewish people in these dark circumstances, they found it hard to believe that God would do something like this to them. After all, they were entitled to God's best gifts. They were God's chosen people. In Jeremiah 29, that's where we read from today. Jeremiah, anointed by the Lord, wrote a letter to God's people, the people of Judah. 
This letter, he said, was to those who had been carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. And he told them again that they would be there for a period of 70 years and that they were to make the best of a bad situation. He said, I've caused you to be carried away. And when you go there, I don't want you to just hunker down. You're not going to be in a dungeon. You're not going to be in a prison. You'll be allotted some liberty while you're exiled there in Babylon. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build houses and I want you to plant gardens. I want you to get married and give your children to be married and have grandchildren. Seventy years is a long time. There were people who went into captivity, who died in captivity, and made, never made the journey out. So if you're going to die in Babylon, the best thing you can do is make sure that you have sons and daughters and grandchildren who can inherit these promises. The Lord said, I don't want you to just cop an attitude I don't want you to spend every day in pouting and what's happening to you. I'm putting you in a 70-year timeout. But while you're there, I want you to do something. I have a mission for you. Build houses. Plant gardens. Have children and grandchildren. And then he said, I want you to pray for the peace of these cities where you will be exiled. For when they have peace, you will have peace. So even though you're going to be in a pagan land, people who do not believe in God at all, I don't want you to pray curse on them. I want you to pray peace on them. And when there is peace in Babylon for these 70 years, then as those citizens have peace, you also will have peace. And the Lord said, I'm thinking some thoughts about you. I am thinking thoughts of peace and not evil. And I am looking for an expected end, a future of hope. A future of hope. Now, you know, one of the most dangerous things that happens to people with the Bible is that they grab a verse and they latch onto that verse and they misapply it. You will see this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, on placards, on blogs. Someone today showed me it on a plaque that was on their wallet. They carry this verse around on their wallet. And it's a true verse. But there has to be a context to this single text or you will misunderstand and misinterpret what God is going to do. God always has a process to His plan. He typically doesn't microwave His process. His process is usually slow-cooked over a long period of time. And what these Jews had to get through their mind is that they needed to settle down, settle in, make the best of a bad situation, and not give up, not give in. Now, there was a challenge to this, not only their mentality, but there were some prophets, alleged prophets, who were lying to God's people and telling them that this siege, this captivity rather, is not going to last 70 years. There's a man named Hananiah, and he prophesied to the people that this siege would end in less than two years. Now, who would not want that message? Jeremiah saying it's going to be 70 years. Who wants to believe that? Not me. 
Hananiah is saying it's going to be less than two years. Who wants to believe that? Yeah, everybody would vote for that. God told Jeremiah to act out this prophecy like many of the prophets had to do. So he was wearing a yoke, a collar that an animal would wear. Hananiah had the audacity to go up to Jeremiah and break that yoke off his neck with this false prophecy and say, in two years you're going to get out of here. Jeremiah 29.11, I'm going to break this yoke off your neck. And Jeremiah, the Bible said, walked away. But then the Lord said, go back. And he went back to Hananiah and he said, Hananiah, you're lying to these people. You're going to die within the year. And he did. And the Lord said, the yoke that I will put on my people will be more like iron than it will be of wood. And the false prophet is out of the way. See, the Lord wanted to set a timeline that they would understand that they had a mission for 70 years. This was not going to be a quick fix. It wasn't going to be go to Babylon, get rescued in three months, come back. Because if that would have happened, there would have been no building houses, planting gardens, no having children, getting married, much less staying long enough to have grandchildren. When God has a plan, you cannot rush His plan. You might as well get patient and buy into what God is saying and God is doing. So with that background of 70 years in Babylon, let's read Jeremiah 29.11 again. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Have have you ever wondered what God was thinking? Have you ever tried to put thoughts in His mind or words in His mouth? The Lord said, you may think you know what I'm thinking, but you don't know what I'm thinking. But the Lord said, I know the thoughts that I am thinking toward you. God is always thinking, but He's thinking often about His people. The Bible says that His thoughts toward us are more than you can even number. God has you on His mind a lot. And you may think that His thoughts toward you are for cursing, punishment, kicking you out of the kingdom of God. But the Lord said, I'm sending you into captivity. You're going to be there 70 years. But the thoughts I have for you are good thoughts. They are not bad thoughts. They are thoughts of peace and not of evil. While you're in Babylon, I've got good thoughts for you. This is part of my great purpose. And the Lord said, I am giving you a future of hope. There is an expected end to the 70 years of captivity. God alone knew his thoughts toward them and knew how this would end. But then he tells them that this is not an unconditional promise. When God makes an unconditional promise, he says, I will. And nothing can change God's unconditional promise. At the end of 70 years, the Lord would do what his people could not do only after they did what he told them they must do. This is important to this story. So I want you to look with me at Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 12. Now remember, we've just read about a future and a hope, an expected end 
the Lord says, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now, this is very important. The Lord said it can't be lip service. You can't just cry what they call crocodile tears. You've got to really turn to me with all of your heart. I know when you have and I know when you have not. I know when you're faking it and I know when you mean it. The Lord said and I will be found of you. When you seek me with all your heart, when you turn to me, you'll find me. And I will bring you back from your captivity I will gather you from all the nations and from the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. So the Lord says, there's an expected end, a future and a hope. Seventy years are between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. Go to Babylon. Build houses, get married, plant gardens, have grandkids, settle in, pray for Babylon while you're there. I want you to occupy this land and I want you to make the best of a bad situation. Don't spend your time whining and complaining and wishing you can get out of what God has ordained for you for a period of time. The clock ticked. Past two years, 20, 40, 60, 70 years, and Babylon was in power, Nebuchadnezzar initially, but in 539 B.C., something cataclysmic in the political world happened. This strong world empire called Babylon came crashing down, and the Persian Empire conquered them, and Cyrus became the king, and it was a world empire, the Persian empire. Remember the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw of Nebuchadnezzar, this head of gold, and then Medo-Persia would supplant them and follow them. Ezra chapter 1 tells a story of how this happened. It's an amazing thing. If you would imagine the Chinese Communist Party in China, and in a single day that that entire government would be overturned and someone else would be in charge and they would have a totally different view toward the people of God. Ezra 1 and 1 says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled... Cyrus was stirred up in his spirit. Now stop for a minute and think about this. Jeremiah spoke for God. God gave a word. And he changed a complete political system from the Babylonians to the Persians. And he puts a king in place who all of a sudden stands up and he has a change of heart toward the Jewish people. And it is for one reason. Because when God says something, it will come to pass and nothing can stand in the way of the Word of God that He has spoken. 
It doesn't matter how impossible it may seem. It may be like the city of Samaria that is under siege. And the prophet says tomorrow about this time, food is going to be very cheap. And everybody says, if there were windows in heaven, it could not happen. But God knows how to turn history on a dime and turn it all around. He stirs up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and he also put it in writing so somebody wouldn't misquote him or misinterpret him. And he said this, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me and he, this God, Jehovah, has commanded me, a pagan king, to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Now, you would, this is the most unlikely man to have in his heart to do something for the people of God. And to take all of these captives in his country and let them go back to their country to build a temple to the true God. And he says to them, Who is there among you people? And let him go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to let you go. And if you don't go, then I'm going to let you give money so you can go build the temple of the Lord, the house of God, for he is God. Cyrus says this, this pagan king. We do not see that Cyrus served God, but he certainly believed in God, and he made it favorable after 70 years for God's people to go back to their homeland. It was one of the most phenomenal stories in the Bible how God can change the heart of a pagan king and the course of history. Psalm 126 tells us that when the Jews in Babylon heard this, they said, we were like them that dream. If you would have been there for 70 years, or had been born there, and that is all you ever knew. And suddenly on a day, the kingdom changes, Babylon is gone, Persia's in power, Cyrus makes a decree, and all of a sudden you're free. They said, this was like a dream to us. Our mouth was filled with laughter. Our tongue was filled with singing. And the heathen people looked at us and said, The Lord has done great things for them. Whereof we are glad. And they said, The Lord has done great things for us. Rather, whereof we are glad. The trigger of repentance and turning to God with all their heart released God to fulfill His promise. And as it was said in the book of Daniel, there is a God. He rules on high in the kingdom of heaven. And there is no one that can stop the will of God or stay his hand. Amen. Proverbs 21 and 1 said that the king's heart is like a river. It is in the hand of God. And just as a river meanders its way toward the ocean, God turns the heart of kings to fulfill his will. Amen. In Revelation, the Bible said that he has put it in their heart to fulfill his will. 
Isaiah speaking about this said, I am God from everlasting and I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not. My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. I want you to understand today that there is a God who is in control of times and seasons and culture and kings. He rules in the heavens and no one can stop His plan. Why don't you worship Him right now? Oh, praise God. Praise God. It was Nebuchadnezzar in that previous kingdom after the Lord had humbled him and said, I bless the Most High and praise Him and honor Him that lives forever whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom is from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing and He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? There is no human being, no matter how powerful that person may be on this earth, that can hold out the hand to their hand to the hand of God and stop the plan of God from coming to pass. No political power, no economic power, no religious power. Nebuchadnezzar, a ruler of the entire world in the Babylonian Empire, said, I recognize that there is a God and He rules and no one can question what He does. And my message today is that same God who worked in an impossible circumstance for his people in Babylon is still in charge today. He has not weakened, diminished. He is not asleep at the wheel of human history. He is driving human history toward his ultimate purpose and the the revelation of the kingdom of God in the end when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. Now there are times we feel much like the people of God, that we are captives in a strange culture. I know that they were there because of their sins. And I'm not saying that we are here in 2021 because of our sins. But we are here in a similar way, that we are stuck in the nasty now and now of planet and earth in a culture that is turning its back on God. And when you read the prophecies of the end times, Written in the New Testament, we know that there will be wars and rumors of wars. That there will be people that are turning against God that will love pleasure more than God. This has not taken us by surprise that we seem like we are captive in a culture. Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 8 when he said we groan within ourselves. We feel the tension of the times while we're waiting on the awakening of the sons of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ and the new kingdom age that will be ushered in. But now, groan in ourselves. Now we feel the tension of the times 
that we're here, but we belong there. Our citizenship is in heaven, but we are strangers, pilgrims on this earth. We're passing through, but, but here we are. And I believe that we should live as if Jesus Christ was coming before we take our next breath. That we should live a holy life, a repented life, a separated life. But there's another side of that. That we don't need to hide ourselves in the sand. We don't need to try to disappear from the public eye. But we need to do as Jesus said and occupy till he comes again. We need to take territory for the kingdom of God. We need to settle in in case there's a little bumpy ride between here and the rapture. He told him, I know you want to get out quickly, but there's going to be a little time. I'm not trying to preach or prophesy when the Lord will come again. Anyone who does that is a fool. Only no man knows the day or the hour. God has reserved it for himself. He has held it in confidence. Not even the angels in heaven know when he's coming back for his church. But what I'm saying is that there is a tension of this while we are ready if he comes back at any moment. We are not just huddled together on a hill somewhere in white robes, you know, looking up. I know our redemption is drawing nigh. I know Jesus said that. But we are busy about his work. He has given us gifts and talents to deploy in this earth. He said to occupy till I come. He said you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He told us to go into all the world and make disciples of every person. Our mission is not to just die or hunker down or sit still. But in the same way that the Lord told them, you're going to be here for a while. So buy a house, have kids, live your life, work a job, but don't lose sight that there's a deliverance that is coming. One of these days, we're going to work toward it. We're going to be prepared for it. And we're going to ride out the cultural turbulence between here and there. Praise God. Jesus said there's a danger. He talked about this in Luke chapter 12. That the servants would say in their heart, My master has delayed his coming. No, he's supposed to be coming back to rapture. We thought he would come and, you know, I was just a little kid, 67 to 67 war. We thought when Jerusalem became a nation, the budding of the fig tree, we thought he was coming back at any minute. And through my lifetime, there are cycles of wonderful preaching on the coming of the Lord, which we should never neglect. Because I believe the Bible teaches clearly the imminent return of Jesus Christ. That it can happen in any moment. There is not one historical event that needs to take place before Jesus comes back for his church. He could come back at any moment. And he taught us in his word to live ready for that day. When we lose sight of that, when we don't live for that, when we're not looking up, lifting up our heads because our redemption is drawing nigh, then like this servant, he said, the Lord is delayed his coming. I guess it's not going to happen for a long time. I've got time on my hands and I'm really aggravated at that other servant. He starts to beat his fellow servants and he starts to live in a way he gets drunk and he lives like the world lives. And the Bible said, 
uh, that Lord will come back in a moment when that servant is not looking for him and he will be appointed his destiny with the unbelievers. That's what happens when you just believe it's never going to happen. I just want to draw this parallel from where they were to where we are. And the tendency they would have had to not build houses, buy, plant gardens, not live their lives to the full, not pray for the peace. We could just say, we're just going to abandon our culture and give it up and just try to hold on till the Lord comes again. But that is not what He called us to do. That is not the word of the Lord to us in this generation. While we are captive to this culture, living in this world, bound in a mortal body, we're to be making the best of a bad situation. Sometimes this world is hospitable to Christians, and sometimes it is hostile. The Apostle Peter wrote New Living Translation. He said, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep your way away, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Those Jews were homesick for Jerusalem and we should live homesick for heaven. They were waiting for their release from their captivity, but we're waiting for our release from gravity when the Lord descends from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise and we that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That is what the Bible calls our blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're live for that moment. But until that moment comes, occupy till I come. The Bible said that we're dead. Our life is hid with Christ in God. The world doesn't know who we are. They can't comprehend that while we seem to be captives in this culture, that we're misfits, we don't really belong here, that we're waiting for a sound of a trumpet to call us home. So I want to advise you to live the abundant life here until eternal life is fulfilled in its greatness. Until you see Him and you're changed to be like Him, or you will see Him as He is. Live like Him here. Be a disciple of Jesus Christ as we've been teaching about every Wednesday night so that you do not find Him coming for you and you are not ready. Occupy till I come again. If you are a God-fearing person, if you're a Christian, not just an apostolic, I think you share my concern for the direction of our culture what is taking place in our country and on our larger culture right now. Public policy that is unraveling the moral fiber of our society. America needs to repent and turn to God. We're living in a world that is a pagan world to a large degree, like Babylon of old. And there was a sect, a religious sect called the Essenes. 
that existed in Jesus' day, five major religious groups of the Jews. But the Essenes adopted the idea, the world is bad, let's run from it. Let's go hang out in communes and clefts of the rock and hidden places. Let's try to make sure we're not defiled by the world, by its unholiness and ungodliness, and we're going to separate ourselves literally so we cannot be defiled by the world. The Essenes missed the point. Jesus wanted us to know that I put you in this world. I did not take you out of this world, but I intend to keep you from the evil. So we must continually resist the pressure to conform to the ways of Babylon where we are trying to bring the Babylonians into the kingdom of God. We need to be careful to not accept and adopt the mentality the mindset, the philosophy of people, it doesn't matter if it's publicly popular or not. The Bible said, let God be true and every man a liar. In the end, it's not going to matter how anybody votes because God will be right and the people that stand with Him, the people that are not ashamed of Him will rule and reign with Him. When the Jews got to Babylon, they were so discouraged and defeated. The Bible said in Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept. When we remembered Zion, we remembered the good old days back in Jerusalem. We took our harps and we hung them on the willows. Those that carried us captive required of us a song They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And we said, how shall we sing the song, the Lord's song in a strange land? I preached about this early on in COVID that we've got to find our song while we're living in a strange land. What I'm preaching today is that you don't need to hang up your worship or your work. You don't need to hang it up and say, how can I sing a song of joy when we're living in this culture like captives? We need to find our song, sing our song. The joy of the Lord is your strength. While we're here, let's do God's work. And while we're waiting, let's never lose our worship to a God who is in control. James said, be patient, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't throw in the towel. He said, you've got to be like a farmer. He plants a seed, but he waits for the precious seed of the earth. He's got to wait for it to rain. He's got to wait for the entire season. But that's what he said you need to do. You need to believe that the Lord is coming back. Establish your heart, he said, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The writer of Hebrews told us to not cast away our confidence that has a great recompense of reward. He said you have need of patience that well after you have done the will of God you might receive the promise. He tells us in Hebrews 10:37 for yet a little while and he that shall come will come and he will not tarry but the just between now and then have to live by faith. Don't draw back. We are not of them that draw back, but we are of them who believe to the saving of the soul. Not sleeping, but watching. For only God knows 
when He will return. And I want to be ready for the rapture. But I want to be working until He comes again.